Good morning, Christ Church. I'm happy to report to you we made the move. Yes, for many of you who heard me several weeks ago, we were preparing and we've moved. We've made the move. We've moved our modest and fully lived-in home in Queens of nearly eight years for an apartment in Manhattan. I hear you wondering to yourselves, how have they survived? It's an excellent question indeed. Yes, we are still swimming in boxes. It has been a decidedly eventful week, as moves can go. And as I'm sure some of you can imagine, there's lots and lots of unpacking for the setup of a new home. Our children have already begun to ask questions which are prefaced by, when we move back into a house, yes, they are finding it challenging as well. As we struggle to get our bearings and find a new sense of normal, learn a new community, even learn where the iron might be, the adventure has been good for the family. Yes, it has been good. We even are getting to find new meaning with the less things that we have present before us, the fewer things that we have instead of all of the stuff. Yes, even when we're getting on each other's nerves, with fewer spaces to retreat and recreate, we have found pleasure in each other's company. One of the week's highlights has been the preparation of family meals. Anyone here today who has a memory of moving will understand how difficult it can be to get yourself organized to cook a meal. Yes, to find the proper pots and pans and measuring cups and all of the other kitchen gadgets you might need to prepare a delicious and nutritious meal. I have convinced my children that some of life's greatest dinners are breakfasts. Yes, that's right, breakfast for dinner. My children said at first, sitting at the kitchen counter, breakfast for dinner? That was an anomaly. Not only do I have fond memories from my childhood, I find it easier, truth be told, to whip up a hot pot of grits, fry or scramble some eggs, put on some toast and fry up some turkey, bacon, or sausage, and then, then to try to pull a well-prepared and seasoned meal together. Okay, okay, maybe you're not a girl raised in the South, a Southerner like me, and grits are not your thing, pun intended. Maybe you're partial to pancakes, old-fashioned French toast, or a waffle with special fruit toppings, or perhaps you like the vegetable omelet, or maybe even the omelet made of egg whites and a bowl of fresh fruit, yogurt and granola with a tall glass of cranberry juice. No matter your favorite meal for breakfast, the fast food service industry has begun to capitalize on the late night appeal of the New York diners, have they not? Back in college where there was a shortage of diners, we'd end up at the local Waffle House or the Huddle House for a breakfast meal anytime, day or night. That's right, after late night parties on campus, we'd find our way to a Waffle House to get breakfast for dinner. While we don't know the exact time of day, the second healing in today's story takes place, we are clear that Jesus commands that the recipient of his healing touch receive some food. 
That's like the meal we call breakfast, is it not? That meal which breaks the fast, the most important meal of the day, some would say. This wasn't merely to extend his compassion upon the little girl, neither was it to prove to Am she really had survived a near-death coma and there was no longer a need to plan her funeral. It had more to do with giving her the nutrients needed to live an abundant life. We don't know of any dietary restrictions, food allergies, or preferences. What we know is breakfast helps to replenish your body with the fuel it needs to start the day. Jesus says, give her something to eat. As nutritionists and physicians tell us, when you wake up, the blood sugar your body needs to make your muscles and brain work usually low. You need something to start yourself going. It's, it's breakfast. In the Gospel of Mark, we find today the power of God is made evident in the healing powers of Jesus. The Gospel writer gives us a powerful sampling of Jesus' prerogative to heal the haves and the have-nots. The stories of a 12-year-old girl and a woman with an issue of blood for 12 years are both very compelling. Yes, they are both equally compelling. The wealthy, elite, and powerful leader is juxtaposed to the impoverished, unnamed, and vulnerable in a way that proves that God is no respecter of persons. God will and God can heal the fortunate and the less fortunate. God will and God can heal the uninsured and the uninsured, the documented and the undocumented, the named and the unnamed. In fact, as Jesus is summoned to the aid of Jairus' daughter, he interrupts his initial plan and timetable to acknowledge the healing of the destitute woman in this text, calling her daughter. You see, what this tells us is there's enough healing to go around when Jesus is on the scene. This is the lesson learned by the synagogue rulers, messengers, and the mourners who were present. While his messengers think it appropriate for Jairus to go on and return home to properly grieve and prepare for his daughter's burial rites. Jesus is not directly addressed, but overhears them. They say to their ruler, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? Jesus, however, responds directly to Jairus, do not fear, only believe. No miracle, church, can be performed in your life. No healing effectuated if you don't believe. Remember, Jesus couldn't do any work of healing power in his own hometown among his own people because of their unbelief. Yes, Jairus was probably accustomed to responding to all types of concerns and all manner of requests for favors, but here he is no different named sister who pressed her way in for her personal healing. She knew where the source of her strength came from and knew the strength of her life was in him. Healing is always a personal experience, even when it takes place in a communal setting. It's personal. It's private when you need a healing. 
Jesus dismisses all the cynics, professional mourners, and skeptics when he arrives at Jairus' house. A public scene becomes a private healing as he initiates a prayer circle. Yes, her parents are invited and the disciples for whom Jesus will call upon at the transfiguration. But as for all others, in a manner he says to them, your services are no longer needed. The one who is the author and the finisher of her faith takes her by in his native Aramaic, Talitha Kum, a little girl, get up. Get up. Your potential has not been realized. Get up. Your being on this earth has yet to make an impact on others. Get up. Your wealth does not dictate your power. Been awakened in you dictates your power. So don't sleep too long, little girl. Get up. It's time to be about the business of glorifying God. It's time to be about the business of serving your neighbors. It's time to be about the business of living an abundant life according to the Get up. It's time for breakfast. You see, through food, God signals not random provision or pleasure, but rather a certain intended order to life. Yes, the Bible gives us some instruction about the need to eat for the role we play in kingdom building enterprise. Huh. But if we did an, a brief exegetical survey, we'd find in Scripture, in the Gospel of Matthew, bless those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. We'd find in Psalm 107, for he satisfies the thirsty and fills the hungry with good things. Yes, we gospel, then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Yes, if we went back a little further in John's gospel, we'd find in an earlier chapter, he says to his disciples, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. So church, if you've been skipping breakfast, if you've been skipping breakfast, you shouldn't. It helps get your metabolism going. Have the energy needed to focus, whether at work or at school, and burn the necessary calories throughout the day. Don't deprive yourself of breakfast. Jesus needs daughters and sons in the work of ministry ready to do every good work for the sake of the gospel. That's why he healed this little girl. That's why he said give her something to eat. But I say to you on this day, do not deprive yourself of God's heavenly food. Food that will not only sustain your physical body, but your soul. The spiritual food called for which you will receive in a moment, we will all partake together, is the real food which helps to give us that abundant life. Yes, it is the Lord's Supper, but today, church, is breakfast for dinner.